you'd uh, turn with me again to uh, John chapter 21. This morning we began looking at that text. We were looking at the first 14 or so verses of John chapter 21. And this is the uh, last appearance that John speaks of to his disciples. He he appeared to them three times after he was resurrected. The first night uh, that he was resurrected, he appeared to them. And then eight days later, he appeared to them again and uh, specifically addressed Doubting Thomas. And then the final time, we see that Peter is at the center of his appearance. And what Jesus is doing is he's preparing his apostles for the ministry. He's He's doing kind of the final tweaking. He's been teaching and preaching and training them for three years and getting them ready Uh, but they're still not there, and so there's some things that need to be done before they are ready for him to ascend into heaven and for them to go out and to begin the work of the ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this evening, I I haven't, I think I kind of messed that up for the secretary, but I'd like us to read verses 12 through 19, 12 through 19 of John chapter 21. So they were out fishing, and they got nothing, they caught nothing. Jesus comes on the shore and tells them to throw their net on the other side, the right side of the boat, and all of a sudden their nets are filled, and so they head back to shore, and when they get there, um, there's a fire, etc. And then in verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Thus ends our reading. Let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, again, having read your holy, infallible, and inspired word, and and a word, too, that's so sweet, so beautiful, so powerful, but yet close to our eyes except for your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we, we again pray, be with my mouth and bring together the thoughts and meditations of my heart and mind in such a way that it is pleasing to you. And, Father, be with each one here present, each one listening, that they'd be strengthened, that they'd be encouraged, that they'd be lifted up by your word. And again, Father, for those that do not yet know you as Lord and Savior, have mercy. Open their hearts and turn them while it is yet daytime. All these things we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen. 
So this morning we were looking at the idea of what it takes to feed God's people. What does it take? And there's, in John chapter 21, we see that, that the Holy Spirit is telling us that there are two preconditions that are necessary before we can feed or give food to the household of God. And again, for, for those that were not here this morning, um, we're working off this idea that, that is given to us in, in Matthew chapter 24, where blessed is that servant when the master comes that he finds him uh, feeding the household of God. That servant, brothers and sisters, has nothing to fear. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what fearsome things are going on around us, no matter what wars or natural disasters or famines or what is happening, if we are doing the will of God and caring for his household, we have nothing to fear. But feeding God's people is not a simple thing. In some ways, it's very simple. In other ways, humanly speaking, it's impossible. And so what we saw is that there's two preconditions. We first need to be filled, or we first need to be emptied, sorry, And second of all, we need to be filled. We need to be emptied of all our self-reliance. We need to be emptied of our self-confidence. We need to be emptied of that thing that makes me, me. And that's what we see and what we saw in in, in the first part of the text dealing with Peter. Peter is broken and and he's hurting and he's trying to recover from the most shameful, most humiliating moment in his life when he told Jesus that he would be there for him and that he would never deny him, he would never forsake him. But instead what happens, of course, is when the hour of darkness came, he folded just like that. And he denied and denied and denied. And what we see in our text is, in that first portion of the text, is that Peter is trying everything out of his own confidence, out of his own strength. He's trying to show Jesus how much he loves him. He's trying to show Jesus how much, how, how much zeal he has for him and how obedient he is. He's trying to prove to Jesus that he's worthy. And this is exactly what Jesus is dealing with because, brothers and sisters, that kind of heart, that kind of soul will never be able to feed the, 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 the people of God, the, the, the flock of God. So this evening, again, I'm just going to say a couple of things that I said already, just for reminder, but why is Peter's failure so emphasized in the text? And it's because our ability to fulfill our calling begins with this knowledge of our complete inability, and this is a lesson that every child of God has to learn. What Peter is going through, and we might see it in, in some people in a, in a more colorful way than others. Peter, we see it in him in a colorful way. That's why he's used as this example. But it's true about every one of us. This thing that Peter's going through is something that we all go through. You know, we're born in sin. And the first sin is always that we don't need the Lord. We don't need his words. We can make it without him. We can do good without him. You know, we can handle life without him. We can't. We need him. He created us for him. And the truth is, is we need the living God and we need his word with us. 
So what Peter's problem and what he's experiencing and what we're dealing with um, concerning Peter, Peter's the focus, but it's a universal problem. It's universal to all of us. In sin, we all have this tendency to depend on our human wisdom and strength. And John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the example of Peter because it speaks to all. So, being emptied of our own self-sufficiency is the first precondition of being able to feed the flock of Christ. We need to be emptied so that we can be filled. As long as you have this, as long as I have it, as long as any of us has this pride, this self-confidence in ourselves, we cannot be filled with what we need to be filled with, which is love. We need to be filled with love in order to give food to the household of God. And we need to be filled with the right kind of love. Not just any love will do. What kind of love do we need to be filled with? And there's a number of things that we want to look at in this interchange between Jesus and and Peter in verses 15 through 17. And so what I'd like to do is, is just look at a couple of them briefly. So first of all, why is Jesus calling Peter... Simon, son of John, right? You you see that again and again. He says, Simon, son of John, or if you have a a KGB, son of Jonah. Again and again, he calls Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Why does he do that? And and, and brothers and sisters, I believe what it's it's doing, according to the word of God, is, is that he's reminding Peter of where he was found. In John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42, what happened is Andrew and John were followers or disciples of John the Baptist until one day they saw John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and then he told them the next day, he goes, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then they went and started to follow Jesus. And so then Andrew went to get Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And Cephas is Aramaic, and Peter is Greek for the same word. Peter means rock or stone, and Cephas, which is the Aramaic, means stone. The name Cephas is Aramaic, Peter is the Greek. Peter was, Jesus was telling Peter, that as a disciple of Christ, Jesus would give him a new name and a new identity. Listen to this again. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. And and that brings us back to, to Jacob, right? Because Jacob had the same kind of thing going on when he was at the brook Jabbok. He was coming back into into. Um, into Canaan after being at Laban's house, and he wrestles with the angel, and we have the same kind of thing going on. He said to him, let me go, for the day breaks. You can find this in Genesis 32. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, which means crooked or bent. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled or wrestled with God and with men, and have prevailed. Simon, the son of Jonah, was Peter's name before Christ. But then Jesus gave him a new name, Peter, 
or Cephas or stone. And there's a message here. I believe that Jesus is telling Peter that in his actions and conduct since his denial of Jesus, Peter has gone backwards. He's going back to who he was, not to who he is in Christ. After his failure the night of Jesus' betrayal, Peter's shame and humiliation was so great. And he does not yet fully understand the cross and the benefit of the cross. He does not understand that the cross and the blood of Jesus are the only thing that can take away his guilt and shame. In desperation, Peter is trying to erase his his own guilt and shame through his own power of his own works and his own wisdom and his own love. And Jesus is telling him, and that name is part of that telling, it's not going to happen. You will never be able to erase the shame, the guilt and humiliation of your denial through your own works. You cannot fix what you've done. You cannot undo the denial of Jesus through your own zeal, through your own love, and through your own strength. Simon, the son of Jonah, or the son of John, is all you will ever be in your own strength. And brothers and sisters, that is the truth for every one of us. No matter how hard we run, no matter how much we accomplish in the power of our own flesh, we will never be more than broken human beings who desire to be more than what we are. We can't do it, not in ourselves. However, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, and that in Christ, we obtain a new identity. And that identity has everything to do with knowing the love of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the second note, and the second item of note in this text. Now, there's four different pairs, uh, four different pairings of words that that we see, four different word pairs, and we're going to only look at one of them. But just to mention what they are, there are two different words um, for feed. One is to feed, one is to shepherd. There's uh, two different words for know. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. There's actually, those are two different words. And, and then uh, we have two different words for sheep and lambs, right? He speaks, feed my sheep, and tend my sheep, feed my lambs. But the most important one for our purposes tonight, brothers and sisters, is the word love. There are two different words that are being used for love. And, he, and it turns out that in Greek, there are more than two words for love. And just to give you a, a quick update on that, but uh, eros, or eris, uh, it speaks of sensual love, the love of the flesh, right? That's the love of the world. That's the love that in our, you know, in our sin and in our brokenness before we know Christ, that's the, that's the love that we're most attracted to, the, the, the love of the flesh and the attraction of the flesh. Um, not, not a good kind of love. Very uh, two-dimensional, not long-lasting, and very selfish. But then there's another word for love, phileo. And phileo, brothers and sisters, is actually a, a very deep word. It's a word for brotherly love. It's a word that even is used by Jesus to describe the love between the Father and the Son. 
He'll use that word, phileo. It's a, it's a good word. It's a good word for love, and it, and it, and it, and it speaks of a deep relationship, a, a, a deep give-and-take relationship. And then, of course, there is the word agape. And agape, brothers and sisters, is the deepest love of all because only agape love speaks of sacrificial love. And, and I'm going to spend a couple minutes, and, and, I, and I hope and pray that you'll have the heart to... to, to Pay attention for just a moment, because this is a very important thing. Like, if, if you go and study this text, what you'll find is that there are some commentators that say, well, these commentators that, that distinguish between phileo and agape, well, they're just wrong, because they're interchangeable. And they're just thrown in there ad hoc and, and you know, whatever. They're just thrown in there, and, and maybe they're mixed up, but they mean the same thing. So that cannot be what's going on, but it is. And I'll show it to you from the Gospel of John. This is the word, agape, that Jesus used in the most important reference text to understand what this text is about, which we find in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. In John chapter 13, Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples. They've just eaten the Last Supper. And he has washed their feet, and then he has spoken to them about how he has set down uh, a standard and a measure that they're going to continue to work with each other. And then, after talking to them for a bit, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Four times Jesus speaks of love in this passage. And all four times it speaks of agape, We define this love as the highest form of love, brothers and sisters, because at the center of it, Jesus himself defines it. So I don't know, I haven't done a deep enough study of the Greek word agape and what it meant in the Greek society. But the Bible is known for this. They will take language that's already in the society, uh, in, in regular culture, in regular society, and they will take it and then plug in divine depth and meaning to it. And this appears to have happened with agape. Agape becomes the the highest kind of love that the Word of God speaks of. And Jesus does this on purpose. He does it on purpose because this love is so important to the church. In fact, the whole church revolves around this love. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to love one another the same way that Jesus loves us. And how much did Jesus love us? In his love, Jesus sacrificed himself for us. So agape love is defined as the highest love, the love which sacrifices itself for another. So using that information, let's look at our text again for a moment, starting in verse 15. Excuse me. In verse 15, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he uses the word agape. Do you agape me, right? Do you love me, this sacrificial love, more than these? Now here again, this is what's so cool about studying these kind of things, is that things start to pop out. Because 
Peter says, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And as far as we're concerned, in the English, they learn, they're the exact same word, but they're not. Because in the original and in the Greek, he answers, I phileo you. So Jesus says, do you agape me? He says, you know. He goes, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Strange. So Jesus says it again. Okay, so he, he goes again in, in verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, he uses the word agape. And again, Peter replies, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. Tend my sheep. Well, then in the next verse, he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time he says, phileo. And now Peter is very upset. He's grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me, phileo? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. So what's happening in our text? Well, brothers and sisters, what's happening is there's a wrestling match going on. Peter is wrestling with the Lord, but it's a good wrestling it's, it's actually an amazing and a beautiful thing that's happening here. He's wrestling with the Lord. So if you look back at John 13, if you notice right after the passage that I just read about love one another, even as I have loved you, in the next verses, in verses 36 through 38, Jesus and Peter have a conversation. And, and in verse 37, Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay my life down for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow until you deny me three times. So what's happening in our text, Peter is super aware of what's going on here. Okay? Peter knows, Jesus says, Do you agape me? And he knows what Jesus means when he says agape. But he can't tell him that yes, I agape you. Peter answers with a truthful, I do love you, I phileo you, I love you with all of my being the best that I can. This is the strongest love that I can honestly say that I love you with. Peter is confessing to Jesus and with all these disciples present, I failed the agape love test. When the time came to lay down my life, I couldn't do it. When the hour of darkness came, I swore that if all forsook you, I would not forsake you. I will die with you. But when the hour of darkness came, and brothers and sisters, what that means is that the hour of darkness, it just means that all the evil and all the wrath of God and all this darkness of men descends with such power that it just literally sucked the life right out of everybody that was there. They all fled. They all forsook. Jesus accepts Peter's truth. And the third time he says, 
Do you love me? Peter answers, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. So he can say that honestly and with all his integrity. Lord, you know, but I can't claim to agape you because I failed to agape. So I can only say this, that the deepest love, phileo, I do love you. Now check this out. Because this is amazing, and and I don't know about you, but I know this text has always been confusing to me. Uh, I've never understood what it meant. It always seems kind of weird and garbled, but it's not. Most assuredly, I say to you, and mine might be a little bit different because I'm reading out of the King James now. I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God, and then when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Brothers and sisters, this is not what you think it is. This is actually a stunning word of love and assurance from Jesus to the Apostle Peter. Jesus is telling Peter, I know that you failed. And what he didn't know, and what Peter didn't know, and he couldn't know, is that he was not meant to die in the hour of darkness. Only one could withstand the hour of darkness. Only one could withstand all the evil that is in the hearts of men, all the darkness that is in the hearts of men, and all the wrath of God against the sin of man, that there's no human that could withstand and stand up in courage, in power, in strength, and in love. There's no broken, there's no sinful human being that could stand in that moment. Only Jesus. That's what makes him Jesus. Is that he came to that moment, and he's the only human being on the planet ever that could do that. And if you look back at what it says, in John chapter 13, he said, you can't follow me now, but you will. There will be a time that you will be able to do it, but you can't do it now. And what Jesus is telling Peter here in this last part, in in, in verses 18 and 19, he's telling Peter that he will die like Jesus died on the cross. He's telling Peter that his last act will to give himself agape, He will give a full sacrifice of himself for the sake of the gospel. Yes, Peter, you failed when you tried to follow me in your own strength and in your own love. But you will not fail the next time. And believe it or not, that was good news to Peter. Now, we sit here, we listen to this, and we're like, oh, we do not want to die. We don't want to die for Jesus. We don't want to die for my neighbor. We don't want to die for the sake of the gospel. But I'm telling you right now that Peter longed to hear these words. In his mind, as a young man, a strong man, a man of power, a man of conviction, a man that loved Jesus, that failure was was torched into his soul 
He wants redemption. He wants to be worthy of Christ. He wants to die, if he must, for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And so when Jesus tells him the kind of death that he would die to glorify God, you can can bet with all your heart that Peter was happy to hear it. You see, brothers and sisters, what's beautiful about that is that Jesus was telling Peter that out of yourself, the best you can love me is with this brotherly love, this deepest love that you've got. I know it belongs to me, but I need more. I'm going to fill your heart with the kind of love that I have. I'm going to fill your heart with sacrificial love. And brothers and sisters, that's what we need. We don't have time for much more, but the power of this text is that the love that Jesus loves us with becomes the driving motivation for everything that we do. Notice how Jesus pairs the the, the question and the statement together. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend or shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. The driving force or energy to feed and shepherd the the sheep of Christ to give food to the household of God is this deep, deep knowledge of the greatness of Christ's sacrificial love. It's the knowledge of Christ's sacrificial love driven deep into our heart that brings forth the desire to do anything for Jesus Christ. You see, we have to be born again. The best we can do even if we are a very high-caliber, upright, moral, courageous character, the best we can do is be like Peter, have a very strong conviction, a a very strong desire to, to live and to die for Jesus, but when the hour of darkness hits, we will not be able to come through. And that same thing is true about feeding the household of God. If you and I are going to minister to others, if you and I are going to share the gospel with those people that don't have it, if we're going to share the gospel with those that are in need, it calls for the deepest sacrifice of me. Because I promise you That when the Lord opens your eyes and shows you the people or shows you someone that's in need, that's near unto you, because Jesus doesn't say, if if you think about it, and I've mentioned this to our own congregation too, because, you know, you think about a lot of things when you're a preacher because you have time to do that. That's your job. But we don't hear Jesus ever talking to the Father about, what about those pagans up in Germany? What about those pagans over in England? Right? Right? There's no doubt that Jesus was highly concerned about all humanity. But he knew that the only way that the gospel was going to go out to save everyone else had to start right here doing what he was called to do in Israel. It starts here and then goes out. You and I cannot solve all the problems of this world. We cannot solve all the famine in this world. We cannot clothe all the, all, the, all the people that are without clothing. We cannot 
you know, f- take care of all the needs of those of the homeless and the broken around the world. We don't have the ability to do that. Jesus doesn't tell us to do that. Jesus tells us to start, just like the rich man in, in Luke chapter 16. That guy was outside your gate. He was right there. You know, in Luke 16, that rich man knows the name of Lazarus. That's the indictment against him. You knew him. Yeah, can you have Lazarus get me a cup of water? Can you get him have him get me a drink of water? He was down low when I was in life, and now he's hanging out with you, Father Abraham. But tell you what, why don't you just go have him give me a drink of water? He knew his name. He knew that he was lowly in this life. But he did nothing to care for him. It starts with us just asking God, Lord, help me to share this good news. It starts with us asking God, first of all, Lord, do I know your love? Am I convicted with all my heart, mind, and soul that except for the sacrificial love of Christ, I am lost? We say that doctrinally. We say that from our, from our minds, but do we say it with all of our being? Do we know it with all of our being? When you look at that homeless bum, you look at that, look at that cousin or nephew or somebody that's on drugs or alcohol or something, do you really think to yourself, That's who I am without Jesus. Or do you think like we usually do? What an idiot. Why can't he turn his life around? So many people have tried to help him. Why can't he stop drinking alcohol? Why can't he stop doing drugs? You know, and what we're really saying, whether we know it or not, is why can't they be like me? I smartened up. I did the right thing. I go to church. I do nice things. No. That's not the love that is going to feed the hungry or give water to the thirsty or give clothing to the naked. The love that's going to change that person's life by the grace of God, the working of the Word and Spirit, is the love that's inside you that says, that's who I am without Jesus. He saved me. Maybe I would not be in that position Maybe I'd be dying of greed, right? Greed's a nice one because you can hide it, you know? How would anybody know that you're greedy? Most of us are quite wealthy by most standards. But if it's drugs or alcohol, if it's womanizing or homosexuality, How could they be so stupid? That's not going to work. That is not the love of Jesus Christ. That's not the love that saves you. The love that saves you is the love that went all the way to the cross, that humbled itself to become nothing for you. Well, Jesus, you didn't have to go that far for me. I was a pretty good dude. I, I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not without sin. But you didn't have to die for me. Yes, he did. 
Because there is just no doubt at all what the Word of God is saying. If he doesn't die for me, then I am going to hell. I will die and be in eternal judgment for my sins. Do you know that and believe that about yourself? Because it's only then that you can truly begin to see the glory of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. He gave everything for you and for me. And we need to be convicted of that. That's the only love that can fill our heart enough to begin to truly feed the household of God. I want to end by reading just a few verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Obviously a very famous text, but it's all, when it speaks of love, it's agape. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love, now listen to this, because this is so beautiful. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Now listen carefully. If you ever read this text, I always wondered about this, and then one day the Lord, I think, just opened up my mind, and I just saw what he... It says, love does not parade itself. Right? He's going, love, love, love. But as soon as he says, love does not parade itself, look what he does next, or listen to what he does next. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice. You see what he's doing? He just takes the word love right out of there. Why? Because love doesn't even focus itself on itself. It just kind of disappears, but it does these things. That's the love that you and I need to be filled with. The love that if somebody slaps our face, whether it's a friend, a fellow brother or sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, or whether it's somebody we're trying to help, we can shake it off. No problem, Lord. You suffered a lot more than that for me. The love of Jesus, who sacrificed everything for me, that's the only love, brothers and sisters, that can feed the household of God. And I hope and pray that it's this love that God would continue to grow in our hearts, minds, and in our lives. Amen. Father, once again, we come before you and we pray.
that you would fill us with the sacrificial love of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you'd give us that new heart and that new mind, that we would stop thinking so arrogantly and foolishly about ourselves, for we do. We all do, Lord. Even in the ministry, all these men were already saved. Peter was already saved. He was already born again. He had already been washed. But yet, Lord, we, in our confusion, in our brokenness, we get turned around. We get confounded. We get turned upside down. And we're not very useful. But Father, we pray that you'd give us clarity of understanding. That you'd give us a depth of understanding of the love that it took to save us. That you'd fill our hearts and minds, Lord, with an understanding of the great love that you had for us. And that out of that love would come this divine desire in us to do your will to glorify your holy name, to love you, to love your word, to love your truth, and to love the lost, even as you did. Father, bless this congregation. Bless all your people, wherever they may be. All these things we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen.